Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Sydney, can I tell you about the best joke I ever made? Uh, I, I think you're going to, whether or not I, I say yes, so go ahead. So I'm, I was driving around town, and I saw a bunch of people tailgating before a Marshall game. Mm-hmm. Marshall the Thundering Herd uh-huh. uh, had their first home game of the year, and I saw a bunch of people tailgating. This was recent. Recent. That's important, I think, if recent. I know where you're going. Uh, gathered around uh, in groups all throughout the city, walking around, mass-free, living their lives, just going for it. Right. And when I got home, I put on Facebook, uh, saw a bunch of people tailgating for the Marshall game. I guess they're counting on herd immunity to protect them. Because Marshall, of course, is the thundering herd. I did not make this joke on Twitter. It wouldn't have played there. But here no. in my hometown of Huntington, West Virginia where most of my Facebook friends are, they were loving it. And on our medical history podcast, I bet it's going to go over like a lead balloon kind of, mm-hmm. but well, you walked them in twice saying thundering hurts. So they should, they had the setup for that to really land. Right. Herd immunity. Herd immunity. That's what we're going to talk about, Justin. Yeah. That's why I made that great joke so many months ago. Yeah. That's why I didn't want to be cute about it. Just jump right in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you to Kristen and David and Maggie and Kelly and Julia and Haley and Selena and Jamie and Georgia, who all recommended this topic, herd immunity or uh, the Great Barrington Declaration, which we will get to. Oh, our, your reference was much, much less uh, relevant than mine for once. I think that the Great uh, Barrington. Yeah, I think we had more people guffawing at herd immunity than your reference. Uh, not guffawing. Listen, some of thoughtfully. some of these emails were titled the Great Barrington Declaration. And let me tell you, I had not yet heard about it. And that is a weird subject line for an email if you have not heard of it. Yeah, I'm going to get to there. I promise. How many t- in those emails that began with that mm-hmm. did they did they say hold on I have to stop writing the email to adjust my pocket protector uh, that I have on? Uh, Justin, yeah, I am one of the nerds that I believe you're trying to make fun of right now. Yeah, Poindexter's, if you will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the term. Wait, I, can I say one more thing before I let you get rolling? Do, do you want to continue to to mock my intelligence or my I'm not friends? Your intelligence. All of my friend listeners, friends listeners, friends, friends listeners, friends listeners. Pocket protector is really out, like a wildly outdated reference. I feel I've like never. I don't I've know if I've ever seen, seen one, one, like in the right. wild, I, yeah. like on TV, like in movies, PT like Tuggers, Revenge of the Nerds, like PT's Huggers. Is the- <laughs> 
the little knob on there you can pull out. I'm sure there are people who have them. I just okay. never had one. Anyway, the so the term herd immunity, you, you could probably guess that it was already, it was used in animals first. I bet you could have guessed <laughs> Let's that. Let's hope so. Yes. Uh, my understanding is that it was originally used to refer to uh, herds of cows where they would have these uh, in back in the 1910s where they would have these um, epidemic abortions they would call them or, or miscarriages um, and the farmers would initially respond when they would see this start to happen among the herd by getting rid of all the cows that ha it had happened to like get okay. them out of there really quickly right. um, and replace them with new cows and what they realized is that that actually made things worse hmm. um, that as you got the sick cows out and put new cows in that it was like adding fuel to the fire it continued to spread whereas if you could just kind of keep them all together after they after they got better you tended to see some sort of immunity develop wherein nobody got sick not some sort of immunity said herd immunity <laughs> exactly uh so the idea is that this phenomenon would keep your herd healthy if you kept them together instead of trying to like I don't know. Do you? This is a, not a question for me, uh, who doctors only humans. But I don't know if you sell the ones that were sick. That seems like a bad. Like, do you lie? Surely you tell people. Where do you? Who do you give them to? Maybe you eat them. I don't think you're supposed to. Depends if it's a cow disease. I don't know enough about this they area probably, to comment they, any further. Everything is messed up. They probably slaughter them. They slaughtered a lot of uh, animals uh, pointlessly during this uh, COVID pandemic. I'm sure that it's, it wouldn't be. I'm sure they just slaughter them. That's very sad. Well, yeah. That's incredibly sad. We mistreat animals in this country horribly. Yes. But that's yeah. not on the These are not usually the comments you make, I will say. I'm just saying. It's not untrue. I'm just, no, we're all connected. And I, I feel bad for the way we treat cows in this country. That's all. Animals, period. But Except for cats. They're doing fine. Go on. <laughs> okay. This idea of herd immunity was intriguing to scientists. Uh, if you look at this point in history, we're talking about World War One-ish time. Uh, this was very That's interesting. It on the calendars. Yeah, it's World War One-ish time. And guess what? Also, Spanish influenza time. Unfairly named Spanish influenza. As we have said before, the influenza pandemic of 1918 was not the fault of Spain. No. They just were the first to be honest about it. Yeah. So they got the, the fault of Portugal. No. Spain's next no. door neighbor. Portugal. No. 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 Who can I blame? Give me somebody to blame. Listen to that episode. Oh. <laughs> anyway, so it's either the influenza pandemic is happening and a lot of scientists, bacteriologists studying uh, this and looking at this herd immunity phenomenon start to say like what is this what does this have to do with does this have anything to do with humans is there some application for this in in humans or is this just a cow thing and so they look at they do some experiments with mice and to find you know to kind of try to explore this idea um the first look into this in humans was the following year 1924 when a professor of pathology named sheldon dudley uh, started looking at these groups of school-age boys who were in this sort of like boarding school kind of setup, um, specifically because it was like your perfect, it, 
if we're going to look at humans as a herd, <laughs> these boys would be put into the school at a certain time. They all stayed together, this single cohort. They weren't they weren't going anywhere. Nobody was coming in or out. So, and at the same time, diphtheria outbreaks were very common. We didn't have a vaccine yet, so you just got it. Uh, and so you could kind of, I know this sounds like a terrible study. Nobody was given diphtheria. You could just observe okay. what happened. Um, and so the, that was sort of the first look into, you know, humans was to observe the spread of an infectious disease among this sort of isolated population and then report on it. And that's what he first published on was the way that he would observe like a certain number of the students would get this and then and recover and people would stop getting it. Right. Mm -hmm. And like the herd, so to speak, would be protected. Um as he wrote about it, uh, this terminology, herd immunity, was not widely accepted mm. by the public. Uh, people didn't love this. It's a little it, literally dehumanizing. Yes, exactly. Uh, the idea of, of calling um, humans animals was not particularly... I know as a humanist... I, fortunate and foremost, I typically would agree with that. I think in this specific example, though, I like the term herd immunity because it is dehumanizing in a way that is um, helpful because we shouldn't be thinking of ourselves as individual human entities. We should be thinking ourselves as a herd. I think it's useful. It's a useful way of thinking of ourselves mm. as part of a collective. Uh, I understand where you're coming from. I would argue that the human animal is capable of altruism though without comparing us to another animal that is perhaps less cognitively developed uh first off rude <laughs> <laughs> secondly the countess anybody from pew's playhouse uh but also like i don't know it's it's uh, yeah, all evidence to the contrary since you're okay I don't know. well fair <laughs> currently that's sure okay and especially at this moment in the show we're, we're talking about the 1930s so i guess this isn't Whew. anyway uh, and because of this time period as dudley talked about humans in these terms and talked about different herds of humans like urban herds or rural herds and all these different terms that were used people were not thrilled and then the idea of I say urban herds actually hit me different. <laughs> yes. Since you added urban to the beginning, it started to feel a little uh -huh. bad. Well, and the idea of racial herds was also introduced at this time, especially with eugenics being popularized. Okay, I'm there. Yes. Yes. And I'm the, like, the idea the that like, well, now. these people don't get this because that herd has an immunity already for whatever reason. These ideas begin to, you know, be perpetuated. And, um, there's also a problem with this because if you do a direct comparison, if you have a herd of animals like we were talking about early on, um, whether or not you decide that whether or not you've embraced this herd immunity concept and you accept that like these uh, cows that got sick and got better are now like good for your herd. They're helping protect your herd in some way because mm -hmm. at that point they didn't really understand why they just knew that that happened. Um, you do accept that some will get sick and die. Like that is part of this equation that you're running when you're talking about your herd of animals, your herd of cows or whatever, okay. right? And so when you apply that to humans, that's not what I would call um, ethical. Great. Great, yeah, it's not Right, it's not uh, and the, the other thing is like, you know, in terms of a good euphemism, 
if we are talking cows, like you also intend to. We're not talking cows. Well, but we're people. But you also intend to kill these animals in a lot of cases at the end. And so yes. as a as an analogy to humanity it is a weak one. Okay. In that way. Fair enough. People don't like that, especially when they're sick and scared or their family members are sick and scared. That's not a great look. So because of these reasons, there you can see where there really isn't much of a functional application for this idea, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you use it? How do you use it as a tool? You can observe it as Dudley did. You can see it happening. But how would you use this functionally if what if the consequences are that some members of your herd will get sick and die, there is no application to this um, as a doctor whose number one job it is to do no harm. Right. Until you have vaccines. Now, all of a sudden, along with vaccine technology, we have like an actual idea of how herd immunity could come into play. Okay. That's what makes it relevant. Um, and this is where math comes in. So in order to understand why herd immunity suddenly became important and relevant with the advent of vaccines, you have to kind of understand some math. So we have an infectious disease. Okay, hold on. <laughs> okay I'm ready. We have an infectious disease and we have a vulnerable population. Okay. Okay. And different diseases are different levels of infectiousness, meaning like some spread really easily and some don't. Right. Okay. We measure this by how many people is an infected person also likely to infect. You've probably heard about this on the news. The media has talked about this idea. It's the R not. The R not. Very we've good. Talk, we've talked about this idea. I'm yeah, not. but a lot of other people. I'm just saying. I'm, okay, I'm yes. Not, that's fine. So what we found is that if you divide one by the R not and then subtract it from one, that doesn't really matter. The point is you can get a threshold of the population that would need to have immunity in order to stop the spread of okay. the disease, okay? To can, lower that R naught below one. To, no, well, to, yes, to achieve herd immunity and stop transmission of the disease. But that number has to be below one, right? Yes, but what, yes, but what we're taught, yeah. Stop I, transmission. Yes, but what, what I'm trying to get you to see is that the R naught is intrinsic to what that level of herd immunity is. The R naught of a particular disease tells you how many people would need to be immune to protect us all. Okay. It is dependent on how easily that disease is spread. Okay. Okay. Got it. Does that make sense? Yes. So, like, as an example, measles, one person with measles is likely to spread it to like 12 to 18 other people. Dang, measles, right? Yeah, it's really infectious. Don't miss that. Really contagious. Right. So we have to get to 92 to 95 percent of the population immune before it won't. That's that's the threshold of herd immunity. That's really high. Yes. Right. On the other hand, Ebola, if you have Ebola, you're only likely to give it to one point five to two point five people. OK. So for that, we need to achieve 33 to 60 percent herd immunity level yeah, or immunity level to achieve herd immunity. Easy. Okay. So far from what we can tell of COVID and this is an evolving science, right? Because we we're still trying to, when we're in the midst of it, uh, a person with COVID is likely to infect between two and a half and four people. 
Okay. okay? Which means we need to get between 60 and 75% of the population immune before we achieve herd immunity, theoretically. Got it. Okay? That's a lot of people. Yes. We are nowhere near that. Like, on a global or nationwide level. There are isolated communities here and there that may be closer to that level, um, especially in specific parts of New York, but not, not on any major national scale. Um, now, as we talk about that, about herd immunity and the way that it was used for like smallpox, for instance, this was all used in conjunction with a vaccine. So we use this concept of herd immunity to vaccinate people against smallpox, to stop the spread of smallpox, and then to use like what we call like ring vaccination to close in on the in uh, infected people. Like you get an infected person and then encircle them with vaccines until we could eradicate it. But nobody has ever suggested, no real epidemiologist has ever suggested that you use this idea of herd immunity just to let people get sick until it stops spreading. Right. Okay. Now, in terms of what we would have to do for COVID, like how many people would have to be vaccinated or immune or whatever, first of all, as long as we include a vaccine in the equation, we have to know the effectiveness of the vaccine, right? To know how many people would need to be vaccinated. Because. Mm -hmm. Most vaccines aren't 100%. Every single person who gets it is immediately immune. Yeah. Okay. So we have to know that. Um, and we have to know how many people are going to get the vaccine. So we can't do that math yet. Um, but the other way that herd immunity plays into is not just for like eradicating a disease, like I just talked about with smallpox. Um, but what it also does is uh, let's say that there are people who can't get a vaccine mm -hmm. because of an illness or because of their age. Um, or because they get it and they don't generate the immune system response that we would like them to, right? right. Because I said they're they're often not 100% effective in every single person. So herd immunity protects those people. By vaccinating a bunch of people, we achieve those levels, and then those vulnerable people are much less likely to get the disease because they're protected by all of us who are immune, okay. right? Right. So that's where all that comes into play. Um, so I think that, and, and by the way, this threshold is not like concrete. We've seen that with measles. We have, because measles requires such a high threshold of immunity in order to achieve herd immunity, mm -hmm. we have in certain parts of the world dropped below that threshold, um, in large part because of vaccine hesitancy. Mm -hmm. And so people don't get vaccinated the levels drop down below 90 to 95%. And then we start to see measles outbreaks. Mm. Right? Right. Um, so the thing is about COVID. Why are we talking about herd immunity in terms of COVID? I would think it would be obvious. Because, <laughs> you know, because? I mean, it's obvious, isn't it, Sid? Well. we would like that to be the case. So we could go to the darn baseball games. But but what I just said, we don't talk about herd immunity outside of vaccines. Not not really. We not in don't. a realistic, actually would happen in reality way. Well, that was, the, when you and I talked about that, that was the main reason I thought this would be, I, not that it was like my decision, but <laughs> why I was excited to do this episode because I want people to start hearing herd immunity 
right now, if people suggest herd immunity as like a way to handle COVID before there's a vaccine, they don't know what they're talking right, about. Right, because we don't have a vaccine yet. We will, but we don't now. And so it's a math we problem do have that a we vaccine. can vaccine. It's just they're trying to make sure it's real safe, but they got well, loads of this okay. stuff. Okay, well, I'm yes. Sure. <laughs> hit, I'm just saying they hook me up with one is all I'm saying. Mm, there are vaccines out there, but they're not for widespread distribution yet. We're getting there. Um, but for now, it's like it's, we can think about the math of all this, but it doesn't, there's no application of it. That, like as an as a an ethical human who doesn't want to see other humans die, the idea that this has any bearing on reality right now, herd immunity in this context is just it's nonsense. It's complete nonsense. But um, the other things we need to know are well, one: we really don't know what naturally induced immunity to COVID looks like. Mm. We have these cases of people being reinfected, right? Right. right. How often does that happen? We, we think immunity is probably not lifelong, at least not for everybody. We don't know how long it is. We know that antibody levels tend to decline over time. There might be some T-cell mediated immunity. We've talked about this on the show before. We don't know all these things for sure. And so if you liken it to like a chicken pox party, remember when people used to have yeah, those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your kid would get chicken pox, so everybody in the neighborhood would come over and like they'd share blow pops or whatever so that all the kids would get chicken pox at the same time. Mm-hmm. And now we don't do that because there's a vaccine you should get instead. <laughs> well, imagine if you had a chicken pox party and then next year everybody could get chicken pox all over again. That would seem really wild, right? Yeah. Well, there's that possible. We just don't know enough yet. What would be the point of that? If you can get COVID again, why would you do that? Right. Um, and the other thing, the other real big difference that we're going to get into more, but the other real big difference is that if we're continuing with this chicken pox party analogy, most of the time at the end of a chicken pox party, somebody doesn't die of chicken pox. Right. Right. Now, if we're going to talk about chicken pox, occasionally people did die of chicken pox. Right. But that's not helpful for the amount of I'm just saying, if you take this like idea of we're going to try to achieve herd immunity with COVID. So a bunch of people will get it all at once and then they'll protect the really vulnerable ones. You have to accept that some of those people are going to die because we know that some people who we think are young and healthy and low risk do die of COVID. So it would be like a chicken pox party where you took your kid knowing that maybe you're letting your kid share blow pops and juice boxes with a bunch of their kids and then maybe that maybe they would die. That's what we're talking about. So that is the other reason why this isn't really helpful for COVID. Um, And when it comes to numbers, because a lot of people have said, like, well, how many people would die? What are we talking? As if it... Is it... Is it... By the way, as if it matters, but... Here's how many people are too many. My nani. There. (laughs) Okay, now let's work from there. Because if my nani gets COVID and and tragically passes away, that's too many. So let's work backwards from my nani. And it's really hard to tell you the answer to that question. No, it's not. My nani. That's well, it. No, Zero. But the question of how many people would die if we went for this approach, because um, you'll see numbers thrown out like 500,000 people will die. I've seen like 3 million people die. There are all these numbers thrown out there. What's hard about that is you have to be able to calculate what we're really talking about the, is the infection uh, mortality rate 
infection fatality rate, excuse me. And the infection fatality rate is how many people die out of all the people who got COVID. Well, right now we don't know how many people are getting COVID because we don't have enough tests and there's asymptomatic carriers and we're still not sure. So that number is almost impossible to calculate with any degree of certainty. So what we do know is the case fatality rate. That's what you're seeing reported a lot. And that's of people who we know had it because those are the only people we tested. How many of those people died? And that number's different. And it changes. It changes depending on where you are. It changes depending on how full your hospital is. It changes depending on what time in the pandemic you got sick. Mm -hmm. It changes, uh, by the way, your likelihood to, of dying of COVID not only changes with like things you can't change, like your age or a, another skin illness color. you might have or your skin color. It also changes with like, let's say you are someone who gets COVID and has access to your own private helicopter to one of the world's best hospitals and an entire team of doctors and also experimental treatments that only 230 other people on earth have ever been given only in a clinical trial and maybe an entire team to continue to follow your every waking moment and vital sign. Sid, are you talking about Trump? <laughs> your odds are probably better of surviving it than say anyone else. Yep, I just busted out the horn, the reggae horn for that. And the thing is, everybody's odds should be that good. I'm not saying his should be worse. I'm saying, saying everybody. everybody be, are you saying everybody should be president? Because I don't. I think that would get confusing. I'm saying we all deserve the same level of care as our public servant, the president. <laughs> so what? What? What is a a better way forward for us, Ed? Well, I'm I'm going to tell you, Justin, but we haven't gone to the billing department yet. Oh, my God. Okay, let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real, high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes, you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week, I'm gonna be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I mean, filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or clean up. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. 
Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McQuarrie fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McElroy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So, Justin, this is where I want to tell you about the Great Barrington Declaration. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's not the Great Barrier Reef. There's no, no connection. No. Uh, a group of public health specialists and doctors and scientists, and it's, there's really three main authors of this, three lead authors who made this declaration. One's from Oxford, one's from Stanford, one's from Harvard. So this all sounds very impressive, right? Yeah. Uh, they got together and they issued this document that in my in my just my personal opinion, representing only me, will be ridiculed by scientific and medical historians for centuries to come. <laughs> I, you know how sometimes they highlight things in in like your history books and social study books, mm-hmm. like when you're in school, it's like bolded or something, and you know it's like, oh, this will be on the test. Someday, the Great Barrington Declaration will be in a book about this year which will be an entire course of history, right? Like yeah. there will be, you can take like the year 2020 yeah. <laughs> in history class. And nobody wants <laughs> And nobody wants to take that class. And this will be, this will be, anyway. The Great Barrington Declaration was issued on October 4th by the American Institute for Economic Research from Great Barrington, Massachusetts. Okay, well that answers my first question. Why is it great? <laughs> <laughs> Declaration is already pretty wild. <laughs> it is, right? It's but, all wild. But to slap great at the beginning, but that one I guess they get a pass on. It's very short and easily available online. So you can go read it. It will take you it probably won't take you very much time. It's like I mean it's it's one little it's just a few paragraphs. It's okay. one screen almost. Uh and they call for what they call focused protection, which will result in herd immunity. Okay. Um it is it recognizes the fact, and this is a truth, that lockdown has been hard on people. It's been hard financially. It's been hard from a mental health perspective. Um, it, it talks about, you know, all the consequences of the lockdown and the quarantine and the social distancing and the stay at home and safer at home and everything we've had to do to cope with this virus. And these are true. I am not disputing that. That no. can all be true. Um, and still not come to the conclusion that we shouldn't have done it all. Uh, but yes, this has been incredibly difficult. So what they say is, 
What we need to do is just let young people get back to their lives. Open the schools, open the bars, open the workplaces, open the restaurants, open the theaters, start the the sports, get it all. Do the live podcasts. All of it. Get it going now. Have the mass gatherings, have the groups, have the hugs and the high fives. But only for us young, sexy people. (laughs) Only, well, everybody who is low risk. So if you're probably not someone who would die of COVID, you go for it. Mm. If you might die of COVID, don't. Okay. We should, if you are old or if you have a chronic illness, please stay in your home and don't leave under any circumstances. Because there's a lot of young, sick people out here living it to the fullest. (laughs) Please stay away from everyone. What we're going to do is bring you food there and things you need. We'll just drop them off. If you work, I'm sure we can figure out a way around that, right? Because our government has always been so good at providing for those in need so it will be easy we'll just we don't have the answers people we're just saying is this is how we should do it and they say that we're we're not we'll leave the nitty-gritty of reality to you the point is get out there and party unless you're old or sick in which case stay home um and also we'll staff all of our nursing homes with people who've already had it so we'll be fine there And obviously there are things we can't solve for. Like if you live in a multi-generational home, I I don't know, but there's probably a way. There's surely somebody should be able to figure this out. And also no masks, no testing, no contact tracing. Just wash your hands. And if you get sick, stay home. No masks, but do wash your hands. Mm -hmm. Mm, Okay. Yeah. I know it's 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 defiant of scientific thought or understanding. Um, So this was issued with a lot of co-signatures and caused a bit of a splash uh, because it sounds very legitimate. If you listen to all these people who are proposing it, they have the credentials. They I'm not going to list all of them. They have they have the degrees. You would think they would know better. Um. One thing you should know about this group, the American Institute for Economic Research is a libertarian think tank, think tank. And this is not me like if you're a libertarian listening and you think I'm taking aim at you, I'm not. But if you do uh, deny the science of climate change, you're wrong. So that's part of their thing. Okay. (laughs) So maybe you can be a libertarian and not necessarily believe that this these people have the answer yeah um they are funded in a large part by the cokes um and that is the political perspective that this is coming from very much a political perspective not a scientific Mm. one um also anybody can sign it you can go online and you can just like they have little boxes are you a scientist are you a doctor are you a concerned citizen you just click there and you put your name there and say that i agree with this declaration. I want my name on this declaration. Um, They have had issues with that. Uh, It's been noted that uh, Mr. Bananarama has signed it. Dr. Johnny Fartpants. (laughs) Dr. Hold on. I need to get a clean one so I can make a text tone out of it. If you could just give me that one more time. Sydney, three, two, one. Dr. Johnny Fartpants. There we go. Go ahead and set that up as your, your text alert sound. Dr. Person fake name. Uh, Professor Notif Uckingclue. I did not curse there. No. Um, I like Professor Kamenek Dummings. And that's fun, I know. But also this whole thing is dangerous and 
unethical. It's been completely refuted and condemned by the World Health Organization, by the London Society of Tropical Medicine and Hygiene, by the Infectious Disease Society of America, by the NIH, by Canada's COVID Task Force, like 14 different American public health groups, epidemiologists from all over the world. Dr. Fauci has said this is nonsense. This is complete nonsense. Uh, Even the town of Great Barrington. Keep our name out your mouth. Said, please. This is not who we are. We wear masks. Don't stop coming to Great Barrington just because of the declaration that is very unfortunately named after us. (laughs) Now, of course, the White House was interested in this. Um, Specifically, Dr. Scott Atlas, who is a neuroradiologist that the president has recently. um, Sorry, did you say Dr. Atlas? Yes, Dr. Atlas. This is that's. So par- mm-hmm. yeah. Thank you. Dr. Thank you. <laughs> Dr. Atlas, um, who has kind of like a laissez-faire attitude towards infection control um, and who recently, by the way, had a tweet removed because he said masks don't work. OK, that's misinformation. So mm-hmm. that was removed by fun folks at Twitter, I guess. Yes. Uh huh. So this is the Dr. Atlas who is now advising the president. Uh, he met with the authors because he liked what he was hearing. Um, so, and that's been a, an area of concern because while while Trump has not endorsed the Great Barrington Declaration, his one of his medical advisors that he definitely likes more than he likes Dr. Fauci, I would say. Sure. Um, has met with them and and feels that this is a a way forward. Um, and Trump has used the term herd immunity. Or sometimes herd mentality, but he meant herd immunity. Let's let's just move on from that. But anyway, this has been concerning to a lot of people because while it sounds ridiculous, if you actually did this, it would be so incredibly dangerous. Um, and the president of the United States seems at least to be flirting with the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, now, for all the reasons that we've just covered... You you already know why this declaration is ridiculous. Because well yes, we it, we you don't can't have herd immunity without a vaccine, right? And we don't know if you can get COVID again. We don't know if immunity is long lasting or how long or whatever. Um, we also don't really understand the full term like full long term morbidity of COVID. We've heard lots of studies on this. How long are you sick from COVID? Even if you are a young healthy person who gets COVID and gets better. There's a lot of indications that some people are going to suffer some pretty severe long-term sequela from this. And we don't know what all of that Sorry, looks like. You said sequela? Um, like complications, long-term okay. negative health effects from this. Okay. We don't know why some people who are young um, and don't seem to have any risk factors get sick enough to die from COVID. We still don't know. We don't fully understand what it does to kids yet. That's still an area that we're trying to understand. Um, and we also can't keep old people out of society as much as you we monsters all like to i, I can't lock my dad in his house <laughs> and and it, and i mean my nanny just goes about her business the more rampant spread in a community the more you're going to see it among our vulnerable populations it's just the way it works you can't isolate members of society from society and have everything else just go on as if it's not happening that's not how that's not how anything works um and like you said 
there is no herd immunity without a vaccine. That's not even a legitimate scientific concept. Nobody's entertaining that. Nobody should be entertaining that. No real person who wants to take care of other people would consider that because, again, um, the most recent like case fatality rate I saw for COVID in the U.S. was 2.7 percent, which would mean like over 8 million people would die. Now, nobody really thinks the number would be that high, but like what is okay? 7 million, 6 million, 5 million, 2 million, half a million? One nani. Like how, what, you know, what? The other part of this is that the people who would still, while yes, if we give it to everybody, we are going to see higher morbidity mortality among the younger, lower risk people. We are still going to affect, like I said, the people who are at higher risk, which if you believe this declaration, you are valuing those human lives as less than the human lives of younger, healthier people. Um, so it, in order to buy into this idea, you have to believe that some people have less intrinsic value than others. Um, which to me is, I mean, this is eugenics. And yeah. obviously we here at Sawbones are against that. Um, it's been called misguided and dangerous, grotesque, pseudoscience. It's astroturfing. It's eugenics. It's ideological, political. It has nothing to do with science or public health. And um, putting these ideas out there could cause more devastation, more death. Um, it is true that the lockdown has been incredibly hard on mm -hmm. everyone to some extent and to some people disproportionately much harder than to others. Um, this is true. Um, and there were ways that we could have mitigated how difficult, you know, social distancing was for people, has been for people, and how difficult having to close down certain parts of society was. Um, but that didn't make it less true that we needed to shut down some things, mm -hmm. and we continue to need to. And we continue to need to social distance. Um, those things are true. And we could have made it a lot easier, but our leaders didn't. And uh, I, there is no, the idea that herd immunity would be a better way to get us out of it means that you're saying, well, if we just let a lot of people die of this, then it will be over faster and I can get back to my life. Mm -hmm. And I don't think... If you are a caring person, you don't mean that. You don't want that. Um, but I don't know what the motivation would be behind making a declaration like this. Um, other than political. Um, yeah. um, it's not science. So the idea that herd immunity is a path forward is ridiculous. If people tell you that, we've never achieved herd immunity without a vaccine. When the vaccines are safe and available and we can all get them, then we can start talking about that. As long as this is something that we need one vaccine for and not something that like the flu, we may need to take multiple vaccines for in our life. Mm -hmm. In which case I think we all need to get used to the idea that we're looking out for each other and herd immunity is the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. I know it sounds that way. You know, they've even talked about calling it like population immunity as a way to make it more palatable for people. I've seen mm -hmm. that argument. Well, what if we just start calling it population immunity? <laughs> Maybe then people won't mind it so much. Yeah. But it's still the same thing. And you can't get it without a vaccine. Period. So I know that's, um, well, hopefully now that it's clear that herd immunity would involve so many people 
getting sick and so many more people dying, um, it's clear that it's not a good way forward. Um, I really want to go out to eat again too someday. I understand. Yeah. Well, there's, and there's, I mean, innumerable people who are also like, I get it, like out of a job, out of, you know, I was talking on social media this week about seeing people eating at restaurants and thinking it's just wild. And there are people in the service industry that are like, this is my livelihood and I, I can't do it. And it's like, we have a government that has failed a functioning government would take care of the people who are in that position while still not allowing the spread of this disease. Like that's what right. a functioning government would do. The answer isn't just to pretend it's not happening. No. Um, and the answer is also not herd immunity until we get a vaccine. No, it, it's, it's unachievable and it would result in massive uh, loss of life. It's ridiculous. The idea that anybody who is tasked with taking care of other people like in the medical profession, whatever endorse an idea like that is, I mean, it's perverse. Those those people should not be practicing medicine. Um, Could I get that name one more time just to kind of clear the palate? I'm having trouble remembering some of the different <laughs> sign or signatories. If you, you could just one more you're time. You're talking about Dr. Johnny Fartpants. Thank you so much for listening to Sawbones. We hope you have uh, gotten something out of it. Remember to to share this episode, um, I think this is information that a lot of people aren't uh, talking about. We'd be better, a, a functioning government would be equipping people with this kind of information. But since we don't have that, you got sawbones. So sorry. Yes, uh, please continue to wear your masks when you go out in the world. Yep. I mean, yes, washing your hands is great. I'm not anti, I'm, I think we know, you know, I'm very pro wash your hands, but that's not enough right now. No. No. Yes, stay home when you're sick. Yes, wash your hands. Also wear a mask. Stay in as much as you can, um, especially to protect all of our essential workers who do have to go do their jobs right yeah. now. Um, uh, thank you to the taxpayers for the use of their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. Um, uh, just a quick reminder that uh, I have a video game podcast on Spotify called The Besties where we talk about a new video game every week. You can follow and listen for free on Spotify. It's only there, but you don't need a paid subscription to, to listen. You can just go there and check it totally out. It's a lot of fun. And if you like video games, I would hope you'd check it out. Um, that is going to do it for us for this week. So until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Fund.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. Are you feeling elevated levels of anxiety? Do you quake uncontrollably even thinking about watching cable news? Do you have disturbing nightmares only to realize it's two in the afternoon and you're up? If you've experienced one or more of these symptoms, you may have FNO. News overload. Fortunately, there's treatment. I'm Dave Holmes, host of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters helps fight FNO. That's because Troubled Waters stimulates your joy zone. On Troubled Waters, two comedians will battle one another for pop culture supremacy. So join me, Dave Holmes, for two, two, two doses of Troubled Waters a month. The cure for your news overload. 
available on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts.